Diagnosing and treating atrial fibrillation, or AFib, is critical to preventing stroke. And joining me today to tell us about AFib and the various treatment options is Dr. Tony Teme. He specializes in cardiac electrophysiology with Franciscan Health. This is the Franciscan Health Doc Pod. I'm Scott Webb. So, Doctor, thanks so much for joining me today. Let's start with a basic one here. What is atrial fibrillation, also known as AFib? So, AFib is an irregular heart rhythm. It's a situation where the top chamber of the heart does not beat in sync with the bottom chamber. We describe it as an irregularly irregular heart rate. And so I'm assuming then, Doctor, that there's such a thing as regular irregularities. You know, there's a lot of different rhythms, abnormal rhythms that can come from the top chamber of the heart, the atrium. And the most common is AFib. It's irregularly irregular, but you can also have regularly irregular rhythms. And some of these are known as atrial flutters or atrial tachs, atrial tachycardia. We tend to lump all of them into one category, but from a heart rhythm standpoint, it's very important to distinguish between atrial fibrillation from atrial flutter and from an atrial tachycardia because you treat these a little bit differently and the risk for each of these are different. So let's come back now to AFib. What are the symptoms of AFib? They vary. You can have no symptoms at all. More commonly, people just feel fatigued. They feel a little tired, sort of out of sorts. They, they describe as not having a pep in their step. If you read the textbook, it says, you know, most people feel a little butterfly fluttering in their chest. And I'll tell you, that doesn't happen to a majority of people. Some people feel that, but most people don't really feel that. They just feel kind of tired. Some people do get short of breath, especially when they exert themselves. Um, that, that's a common feeling. And then some people only know they're in AFib or know something is wrong because at night when they're asleep and listening to their heart rate, they can tell that it's out of rhythm. There's a good proportion of people now with the rise of the smartphones and the smartwatches where their smart devices tell them, hey, you know, you're in AFib or something is abnormal. And um, we're seeing more and more of that as most people wear more smart devices on your wrist. Yeah, the advances in the uh, smart devices, smart watches uh, have come so far. And as you say, uh, it can alert people that something is irregular, right? So is AFib dangerous? Yes, it is. And it's dangerous in the sense that it puts people at risk for stroke. In the past, most people come into the hospital with stroke, and that's how we know they have AFib. So now we're more diligent about trying to find and treat AFib because of the risk of stroke. AFib on its own can cause the heart rate to go very fast. Um, Most normal heart rate ranges from 60 to 100 beats per minute. And sometimes people in AFib can have heart rates as high as 150, 160 beats per minute. In the short term, that doesn't cause too many problems. They may feel a little crummy, but in the long term, over months and weeks, if the heart rate remains in the high 100s, it can actually lead to heart failure. But by far, what we worry about with AFib is the risk of stroke, and that's why we try to be very aggressive about it. We still worry about heart failure and other things, but stroke is irreversible. Most of the time, if the patient has heart failure from AFib, if you treat AFib, the heart failure gets better and the heart gets back to normal but stroke does not. That's interesting. You say that uh, previously people would come in suffering from a stroke and then you could diagnose AFib, but now the approach is to diagnose AFib earlier to prevent a stroke. So let's talk about the treatments then for AFib. What are they? There is a variety of ways um, you can treat AFib. One of them is to slow down the heart rate. Most people in AFib will have a faster heart rate, so we can give medicines to slow down the heart rate, but this does not get rid of the AFib. There's also other medicines called antiarrhythmics that can help keep people out of AFib. 
Sometimes those have to be given in a combination with an electrical shock to the heart where we put the patient to sleep and deliver a shock to kind of restart the heart. And sometimes if all those fails, we go and do a procedure called an AFib ablation. And that's where I go in with a catheter into the heart and find where the active cluster of cells are that are causing AFib and get rid of them either by freezing or burning those cells. There is no good data on which one to do first, you know, if we should control the heart rate or if we should try to get people out of AFib. A lot of that has to do with how the patient is feeling when they're in AFib, how fast their heart rate is going, and and what the patient would like to do. So a lot of it is a conscious decision and conversation with the patient on how to approach things. Yeah, right. And are there any new treatments or procedures that have, uh, you know, kind of got you excited about the future of treating AFib? Absolutely. So the medications for AFib have been the same medications we've been using for decades. The medications we use to slow the heart rate and the antiarrhythmics have been around for a very long time and there's not been much progress in that area. The AFib ablation procedure to get rid of AFib has improved dramatically in the last couple of years. You can either treat AFib with heat or cold ablation. The technology is better, it's faster, it's safer. Um, but what's also more important is that we're having more and more tools to help identify other areas where AFib could be starting. We know that most of AFib starts around these pulmonary veins, which are in the back part of the heart. And But what we're finding out is that there's also a good amount of AFib that starts in areas that are not associated with these veins. And there's some technology out there to help um, identify and get rid of it. What we do at um, Franciscan Health in Annapolis is we also have a fairly new therapy called convergence. Um, and that's what where we I go in from the inside into the inside of the heart and find where these AFib triggers are coming from. I find them, I burn them, I freeze them, get rid of them. But then one of our surgeons goes in to the outside of the heart, finds these triggers from the outside and gets rid of them as well. So that way you're targeting these triggers not from only from the inside of the heart but from the outside of the heart. And that therapy has been very helpful in, in people with very resistant AFib. We don't do it for everyone with bread and butter AFib, but in people who've had you know, very resistant AFib or who've had an ablation and are still having more AFib, sometimes the convergent is, is a very useful tool. But it is more invasive, but it, we've had very good results with it. Yeah, it sounds like it. And we've talked about the diagnosis and treatment, but is AFib really just a product of family history and genetics, or is that something that we can prevent? I think it's a combination of both. Family history plays a role. We don't know exactly what genes are involved, but we know that it, there is a familial component to it. But a lot of the, the things that cause AFib are things like obesity, hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, and age. Age is also a big factor. Obviously, we cannot control age, but we can control our weight and hypertension and diabetes. You'll notice that hypertension, diabetes, obesity, those are also risk factors for coronary disease and heart attacks. So we think there's a correlation there, but we know that if people do lose a lot of weight, that can actually significantly decrease their risk of AFib. And if they have AFib, it actually can help control their AFib much better. The other thing we're finding out more and more is that sleep apnea, people who snore at night, is a big trigger for AFib. And if we treat the sleep apnea with a CPAP or the mask people wear when they go to bed, that dramatically improves their outcome. It doesn't eliminate the, the AFib completely, but it, it helps decrease the frequency with which they have symptoms. Yeah, and whether we're talking about AFib or so many other things, including COVID-19, maintaining a healthier weight and lifestyle. It just has so many benefits just across the board. Doctor, so great to have you on today and your expertise. As we wrap up here, anything else you want to tell people about AFib? 
Yeah, I think by far the biggest risk of AFib, like I, you know, I mentioned earlier, is the risk of stroke. And everyone who has AFib gets um, a risk score calculated. It's called a CHATS-VASC score. And based on this score, we put people on blood thinners, strong blood thinners to help prevent strokes. And I usually tell my patients that regardless of what I do, if, even if I give you medicines to slow down the heart rate or ablation, the blood thinner is probably the most important part of AFib management because it helps prevent stroke. And even if the patient is no longer in AFib because we've treated with medications or procedures, they're still at risk for stroke, so they may need to be on blood thinners, sometimes indefinitely. And that's a, that's probably the biggest hurdle for a lot of people is taking blood thinners, but that's by far the biggest takeaway from this is that if you have AFib and you meet certain criteria, you you will need to be on blood thinners and possibly indefinitely. Well, I certainly love the aggressive approach to treating AFib to prevent stroke. Of course, if it gets that far for people, we definitely want them, even during COVID-19, we want them to call 911 to get to the hospital. Uh, as we know, time is brain and every minute counts in reversing the effects of a stroke, right? Absolutely. Well, doctor, thanks so much for your time today and your expertise and your compassionate way of explaining all of this. Really makes sense. We hope it helps listeners and you stay well. Thank you so much. To learn more about AFib, visit franciscanhealth.org and search AFib. And we hope you found this podcast to be helpful and informative. This is the Franciscan Health Doc Pod. I'm Scott Webb. Thanks for listening.